This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm so excited to bring you this week's podcast episode. But before we do that, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that has been supporting the podcast lately. Received so many incredible reviews and feedback. It honestly makes my heart so happy. This is for all of you. So if there are any topics that you want me to cover or guests that you want me to have on, please reach out. Let me know. Send me a DM. Send me an email. I would love to hear. So I'm going to hand over now to um, Mary. We're talking about PCOS and insulin resistance, which I know is a huge topic. And I know that a lot of women face issues with it. Um, At the end of this podcast, hang around because I'm going to be answering a listener question as well. All right, let's get stuck into it. Hello and welcome back to the Girl Fit Method podcast. On today's podcast episode, I have the incredible Mary from Snatch Fitness. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Um, Lovely to be here. Really, really excited for today's conversation. I'm super excited to have you on. I don't know how on earth I came across you. It would have been on TikTok or it would have been on Instagram. I don't remember, but I just love your content. And I just thought you have like so much sass about you. I love it. (laughs) And you're knowledgeable and um, yeah, you're just incredible. So I'm super excited to have you on today, but let's get to know you a little bit more. Do you want to tell us, I guess, about your history growing up and maybe how you've gotten into the position that you're in right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, we definitely met on TikTok. I, I love your content as well. I feel like you're like the girl next door vibes and I'm just like, like the backup in case I need to throw hands, like I'm here for you. <laughs> yes, I, like that. I love that. That is bang yeah, on. We both, <laughs> we both have a, the similar message and I think we need to start drowning all the other voices on TikTok, which is a lot of misinformation. So it's good to see people rising up and like taking their place in the industry. And I guess it's kind of where I want to be as well on the right side, um, Mm -hmm. educating women um, and teaching them not to be scared of lifting and eating um, and taking up space rather than trying to shrink themselves. Um, So yeah, that's definitely where I um, like to base myself online. Um, But yeah, my name is Mary. Um, so I run Snatched Fitness Coaching. I'm based out of Melbourne, although I do coach amazing women all across the globe, just like yourself, I believe. Um, so yeah, I've been in the industry for the last couple of years and I really like to focus on holistic coaching. So beyond just prescribing macros and writing training programs, but really prioritizing intimate relationships with my clients and just empowering them to like lead better lives. And that comes down to many things like handing the right information and knowledge down to them so they can sift through a lot of the overwhelming information you find online, um, teaching them how to get better results for the effort they put in. Um, I like to teach my girls how to optimize their results for the amount of effort that they put in. Um show up for themselves so that they can actually do what they say they'll do um, and just help them realize that they're capable of healing and living up to what their best and healthiest version of themselves is. Um, So I've been doing that for a couple of years, but I've always been a big science nerd. So I studied 
uh, Bachelor of Physiology at Melbourne Uni. Um, and I've also been into lifting for a really long time. And over the last few years, I've been taking on a lot of courses just to upskill and taking my nutrition certifications as well. So I'm pretty well-versed in the nutrition physiology space, thanks to my education. But I have to say, nothing beats experience. Like hands down, that is the best teacher. Um, You know, you get into the industry expecting one thing, which is, oh, I'm going to help girls get jacked and stop fearing food. Um, And look, that's definitely a huge part of the role, don't get me wrong. But then as you gain more exposure, um, you just start to work with different clients who come to you with all sorts of problems and you kind of get thrown into the deep end where you're seeing the same conditions constantly, especially amongst young women. So in the last nine months, especially, I've been finding the same conditions pop up, you know, this chronic problems and whatnot. And instead of turning clients away and saying, sorry, I can't help you, I really found it interesting And I thought that there was a huge gap in the market there that needed to be addressed. And so I decided to rise up to the challenge and educate myself further so that I can manage and coach these clients. Um, And look, there's heaps of outsourcing that is involved and collaboration with other healthcare professionals that are in my network. So I'm so thankful to have a team around me. So I'm obviously not doing it alone. Um, But yeah, you're constantly forced to level up your skill set, further your education, get certified. So Um, that's been my journey. Definitely not what I signed up for or expected, but it keeps the job interesting and it gives me so much more purpose than I ever expected I would get from this role. Um, And if I'm being honest, like it's so much more fulfilling to me when I see major health improvements and someone's quality of life drastically improving compared to like helping a girl grow an ass. Although to be fair, that's probably a close second. So (laughs) that's where I'm at. I mean, that's all great. I think like with health and fitness, it's always fantastic to have some kind of aesthetic goal, right? And a lot of why we exercise is because of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. However, if that is your sole purpose, you're never going to be consistent with anything within health and fitness. But the other thing as well to keep in mind is that, you know, really when we talk about nutrition, when we talk about training, it should come from a place of respect and wanting to live a long, healthy life. Like longevity is so important. Mental health is so important. Energy levels are so important as well. And that really needs to be kind of like the foundation as to why we do what we do. And what I've heard from what you said, like, I love the fact that you're passionate and it's so clear to see that you're passionate. And I think a great way to tell a good coach is someone that wants to help. And when they Mm -hmm. are um, when there is an issue because it, it happens, right? Calorie deficit, we always talk about like calories in, calories out. Yes. However, there is a lot more to it, right? That's not really the be all and end all. And there are a lot of women out there that do struggle to see those results and you do need to work and a coach can absolutely change your life. However, that coach needs to be willing to want to upskill, learn so they can actually help with more, um, I guess, like more difficult scenarios. And that's kind of what we're going to delve into today. We really want to talk and focus on uh, girls suffering with PCOS and then as a result, insulin resistance. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Maybe let's break those two things down. Let's talk about PCOS, what that is, and then we can transition into what insulin resistance is as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, you're right. Like, obviously we work in the body composition space, but this these conditions come up a lot, right? And just to give you some statistics, like PCOS is prevalent in what, eight to 
15% of young women in Australia. So like if you look at my sample size of clientele, it makes sense and it matches up with those figures. One in every eight to 10 clients has it. Um, type 2 diabetes on the rise. It's more than doubled in the last 20 years. So if you're a healthcare professional, it's almost a, a, a sure thing that you're going to come across this. So uh, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it is to get to, uh, through the long and the short of it. It's essentially failure for um, ovulation to take place or failure of ovulation. So you think about the egg maturing in the ovaries um, and then being released to obviously either become a baby if fertilized or um, it'll release as a period um, with menstrual blood. Basically, the egg is not maturing as it needs to and it's not um, ovulating. And there's a whole bunch of um, hormonal um, imbalances that are caused by that. Um, or that cause it, so to speak. But the biggest thing is that it's characterized by excessive androgens, which are male dominant hormones like testosterone, DHEA. And that's what causes hirsutism. So we're talking um, facial hair, acne. Um, so you've got all of these um, fail- failed ovulation attempts, which cause cysts in the ovaries, as well as all of these symptoms, such as um, the the male dominant features that we're seeing. And then we've got another element of that, which is insulin. Now, I thought to talk about insulin resistance first before we kind of link the two together. So um, insulin, essentially, we got to cover off the basics. It is a hormone. I'm sure we've all heard of what it is. Um, It helps us regulate our blood sugar levels. So when we eat a meal, our body converts the food into glucose, which is in its simplest form, pretty much sugar. And that is the primary source of fuel that our bodies need. So the pancreas detects a rise in blood sugar levels, and then it releases insulin as a response. Insulin then goes to the body and says, hey guys, we've got a lot of glucose up in this bloodstream. I need y'all to take it in and restore the balance. Okay. Now, if that balance is not restored and our blood glucose levels get too high, then we suffer from hyperglycemia and that's characterized by an increase in thirst and hunger, blurred vision, frequent urination, um, slow healing wounds, um, brain fog, headaches, fatigue, uh, skin tags. And um, if left untreated can evolve or devolve into um, prediabetes and then type two diabetes. Now, if we take a closer look into how insulin works specifically, it binds to the receptors of our cells. So I like to think of receptors as like the bodyguards that sit on the surface of cells and they kind of surveillance the um, external environment and tell the cell what's going on and just tell them what to do. Um, So insulin comes and binds with this receptor or like has a chat with the bodyguards is kind of how I explain it. And the bodyguards then alert the cell, hey guys, we need to start preparing to take glucose in from the bloodstream. So then it signals um, or triggers a signal cascade, which is essentially a series of processes that bring channels or almost glucose gates, you could call them, into the cell membrane to let the glucose come in. Okay. So how does insulin resistance develop? In today's day and age, with the high stress uh, environment that we put ourselves in modern day sad eaters as well. Sad is standard American diet. Um, And also with conditions like PCOS all on the rise, we're seeing people eat a high fat, high sugar diet and lead sedentary lifestyles. 
And over time, that can cause cells to become more resistant to the effects of insulin simply because they have chronically high blood sugar levels. So the reason why this happens is because the insulin signaling pathway becomes dysfunctional. And this develops simply because the cell can't handle having that much sugar inside it. So the mitochondria, which we all know, the powerhouse of the cell, your nine biology shout out, um, is responsible for converting glucose into energy. And when you just have constant demand of glucose coming in for the mitochondria to process, it pretty much says, hey, guys, I can't do this anymore. I cannot handle the demands of metabolizing this exorbitant amount of glucose. And so the cell initiates an insulin block to prevent the uptake of even more glucose that it has to process. Um, and this happens through two key mechanisms. The first one is the cell actually decreases the number of insulin receptors that are present on the cell surface. So less bodyguards, AKA less insulin binding with the bodyguards or talking with them. And then the signal doesn't even reach the cell. The second thing it does is um, the signal transduction fails to take place normally that brings those glucose channels um, to the surface to open up and bring the glucose in. Okay, so the glucose is being shut out and it's the, the cell is essentially ignoring um, the signaling that insulin is trying to provide. So it's constantly rejecting it. And that's what leads to insulin resistance. So what happens? We know blood sugar levels are remaining high insulin isn't really being listened to, but the pancreas is still detecting high glucose. So it's going to compensate by releasing even more insulin in the hopes of regulating the blood glucose levels. And it creates this vicious cycle leading to even more resistance from the body cells, despite having higher levels of insulin. And then eventually the pancreas is unable to maintain that release of chronically elevated levels of insulin. And then that's when the production shuts down insulin is downregulated. And then that's when prediabetes kicks in because you actually don't have enough insulin to handle the amount of uh, sugar in your blood. So that is insulin resistance in a nutshell. And just one final note around the interaction between PCOS and insulin resistance. So there is a relationship between androgens or high androgens and high test uh, insulin, sorry. So the pattern is not clear but we know that there's a relationship between these two factors. We know that when you have high levels of androgens, it promotes insulin resistance. The mechanisms are still unclear as to how, but also having more insulin triggers more androgen release because insulin acts on the fecal cells of the um, ovaries as well as the um, adrenal glands, which releases more androgens. So it's this... Um, almost like a chicken or an egg situation. That like I was going to say, what's triggering yeah. what then? Yeah. It can be both. It could be PCOS comes from obesity or insulin resistance. It could be a genetic thing. Um, it could be um, high androgens that lead to insulin resistance. And it's very variable, uh, extremely variable between um, people. So we know that when people have or present with PCOS, we need to start addressing insulin resistance because it tends to have a, a direct effect on the um, high androgen symptoms as well. Yeah, and it's very frustrating. I mean, we've worked with a lot of women that do have PCOS and it's frustrating for them because they feel like they're putting a lot of work in and really not seeing any results. And it can be because of that because we do need to really alter lifestyle factors. We need to alter the way that someone's eating. And 
Um, if that's not addressed, you can kind of do, you can try and do what you think is going to help, which may help someone that doesn't suffer with this issue and they can get those results. And this is where it comes back once again to like calories in, calories out can feel very frustrating for lots of people because it's just not that simple for some. And in particular for women, because we are so hormonally sensitive, there are so many things going on that can absolutely impact our ability to be able to see the results that we're wanting to see. So let's talk about what we would do. We have someone come in who has got PCOS. They're finding it very difficult to lose weight. They've got low energy levels. They're suffering with all of these, you know, irregular cycle. Where do we start? Do we look at lifestyle factors first or do we look at nutrition or a bit of both? Oh, everything. We take a, well, I take a really holistic approach. And I think that's the best way to um, handle cases like this. And look, before I even get into how I would coach a client through it, I think the most important thing you need to do, the first thing you need to do is create a safe space for the client to ensure that they don't feel judged. And more often than not, the only thing that they're going to get the only advice they're going to get from their doctors, from the healthcare system, maybe from other coaches is you just need to lose weight and cut out carbs. And unfortunately that's just not helpful. Like they know that we all know that, but that's Mm. more so the end goal rather than the process of, of, of losing weight. And oftentimes cutting out carbs isn't viable for a lot of people. And I think it's important that you approach this with empathy because you'll hear this time and time again, women have consistently been failed by the traditional medical system. We know women who report their symptoms tend to be taken less seriously than men. Um, We say, or we're told that our um, symptoms are all in our head. It's just anxiety. Even something as simple as getting an eye infusion, so much harder for a woman than a man, despite needing it more than them because we literally menstruate. Like it will, and I've seen it with one of my clients recently. She had declining iron levels for years and her doctor told her everything was fine and it had to get really bad before they gave her supplements. And even then it's not as effective. Whereas mm-hmm. her brother had slightly less than efficient iron levels and was immediately recommended to get an eye infusion. So I, I also think- Oh, sorry, I was mm. going to say, I also think that what's very common as well with women in this situation is just getting put on the pill and then that's supposed to fix everything when it can absolutely exacerbate things really, really badly. That's yeah, it, it's, it's not just the diagnostics, it's the solutions. You're giving yeah. them Band-Aid solutions yeah. like without addressing the root cause. And yeah. we know that there are so many dangerous ramifications of going on the pill. Mm. Um, we're not informing or educating women um, as we should be and telling them what their options are, telling a client or, or a patient to go and metformin instead of telling them to fix up their diet and address yeah. their stress levels is a huge flaw in the system. So as a coach, if you are going to approach this um, or approach a client like this, I think it's really important to educate them on what is really going on and that a pill isn't going to fix everything and they need to approach this from a holistic perspective. Okay. Um, so so let's, let's jump into that. Let's talk first of all yeah. about lifestyle factors that people need to address first off. Okay. I'm going to start with mindset. Mindset is probably the first and most important thing. Do you believe you can heal and empower yourself to take matters into your own hands? Or are you going to victimize yourself and accept that this is your situation and this is how you're going to live forever? There is a huge difference between those who just accept their condition and those who take charge of their health. And I think this is a conversation you need to have with your client and empower them and say, hey, 
go on YouTube, hear the success stories of people who have reversed their condition naturally. It's going to take a lot of time. Obviously, you have to be very upfront with the client about what is involved, but really establishing a good mindset from the jump. Um, and that education comes in handy as well. If they don't know what their options are, they may not believe that there's an, a, an option to heal. Um, and then also just from like a, a bottom up perspective is just addressing the state that they're in. Are they always in fight flight? Are they always in this persistent um, overstimulated nervous system and constantly have cortisol pumping through their bloodstream, chronic inflammation, poor emotional regulation and coping skills, mental well-being is absolutely crap. Like if you've got all of this low-hanging fruit to address, you'll be so surprised by just how much your symptoms can improve by addressing these things. Um, nutrition is definitely going to be a key pillar to healing, but the lifestyle interventions of just ensuring that you have a good routine, you're addressing emotional trauma, you truly empower yourself to take charge um, and approach this from a physio physiological, a psychological and a spiritual lens that will make a huge difference um, with collaborating with your client to heal. Yeah, I love that. All right, let's talk about training because what I've found a lot with women that come to us that are frustrated and can't lose weight that may have some sort of hormonal issue, might not be PCOS, but it could be PCOS as well, is that they're mm -hmm. so frustrated at their situation that they just start to overtrain. So more exercise would be better, more, 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 more. Let's talk about the negative impacts that can actually have and how counterproductive that can be to that end result that they're wanting to achieve. Yeah, well, you're going to burn yourself out very quickly if you do that. And again, we want to put the body in a state of healing. And if you're doing an extreme amount of intense exercise, you're just fighting an uphill battle. So yes, exercise is fantastic. And we'll talk about weight training specifically for insulin resistance and how it can drastically resensitize you to insulin. Fantastic. But within bounds or within limits, um, you should weight train. It's really good for you, but you don't need to be going to failure on every set and pushing yourself to the point where you're crawling out of the gym on all fours. You don't need to do cardio. That's really intense. In fact, this literature suggests it's actually counterproductive because it can release um, a lot more cortisol than your body needs. Um, so the best advice I would suggest or give based on what we know in the literature is low intensity weight training a few days a week, um, minimal to no cardio. Of course, walks and stuff like that are fine, um, but really just tuning in with your body, just recognize what your limits are. Um, yeah. That's where I would go. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right, let's chat about nutrition because this is really what our main focus is. Where do we start? Yeah, um, so heaps of strategies. And I think when it comes to nutrition, whether it's PCOS or even just a client who's perfectly healthy, we know there's a no one size fits all approach. Some thrive with macro tracking, others don't. Some love meal plans, others prefer flexibility. So the same principle is going to apply when you're working with these conditions. And again, as a coach, your role first and foremost is to understand your client. You've got to know who you're dealing with and what their preferences are. So the biggest thing that I tell my clients if they have insulin resistance is that it's reversible um, and that we can fix it with nutrition and, of course, all the other holistic lifestyle interventions. But if I'm being honest, and we all know this, a low-carb diet is best. The 
uh, the less carbs that you eat, the lower your blood sugar levels will be. And we basically want to regulate the blood sugar levels. It's not necessarily about how many carbs you eat as much as it's avoid the spikes of blood sugar um, to avoid the insulin spikes. This gives your body time to become resensitized to the action of insulin. Now, in saying so, I've seen cases where some clients can handle a lot more carbs than we think, like 200 grams of carbs a day, depending on a lot of things like their activity levels, the amount of muscle they have, their stress status, age, the quality of the carbs they consume. So I wouldn't say like you've got to jump into keto immediately unless the client is willing. I mean, it could be a last resort, not a first, especially if you're an active individual, it's going to be really hard to train without carbs. Yeah. Um, and even if you go low carb for a long time, we know it's not sustainable. So you, if you're going to reintroduce the carbs eventually, you better have a good plan to manage it and have good strategies. Mm. Um, and also just one more thing I want to point out before I actually get into these strategies is a lot of girls have a poor relationship with food already, histories of a history of um, eating disorders. They've already demonized carbs for many, many years. So telling them to go low carb may actually worsen that. And they probably won't even stick to the diet anyway, which defeats the purpose of telling them to go low carb in the first place. So it can end up being quite triggering. Yes. And yes. as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself exactly that, you know, I'm thinking of all of the girls that do fear carbs and we work so hard to get them to introduce that into their diet. But what we need to think about here is this is actually taking, and this is where food can be medicine, right? Like there is approaches that are necessary in certain situations. It's not that a carbohydrate is a bad thing, but for someone mm. in a certain state, health state, then maybe that's not going to be the food that serves you right now. And it can be really difficult to get your head around that, especially if you've got a history of disordered eating or an eating disorder. And I guess that's just the benefit of working with a coach, how that's going to be really necessary for you. I'm just mindful of time. I really want to get into this um, strategies around nutrition. I yeah. guess like let's really, I'm going to hand it over to you. Maybe if we can pick like five, I'm not sure how many yeah. you've got strategies that you like to use with your clients that maybe anyone that is listening would be able to kind of utilize. Yeah, absolutely. I've got about four or five. So um, let's start with quality carb sources. Um, we've got to avoid, for the most part, refined sugars or carbs that are typically high in GI because that causes the blood sugar spike. Um, and a nice little guideline that I like to use with my clients is swap the whites for browns. So a brown carbohydrate like brown rice instead of white rice or, you know, whole wheat pasta instead of white pasta, we're pretty much keeping the fibrous casing of the carbohydrate that um, stabilizes blood sugar levels. And that's typically what's removed with standard processing. Um, but you'll often find that when you eat these carbs, not only do you avoid that um, crash, that sugar crash or the bloating, but you feel better. So I think it's important to recognize what foods you can tolerate well. And that comes down to intuitive um, eating as well, but just paying attention to what um, you can do well with. Um, and alongside that, like quality carbs matters and whole food sources. And, um, but also if you are going to have refined carbohydrates um, or any kind of carb for that matter, avoid naked carbs. So this is really good for the instances where you do want to have a slice of cake for your birthday or you want to honor a craving so that you don't end up falling back into patterns of disordered eating. Yes, we want to take on that approach of 80-20, but how do we 
optimize the 20% of the time when you are eating refined carbs so that you can eat smart and not spiral and feel like you've ruined your progress. So what I would suggest is to pair the refined or the fast absorbing carbohydrate with a slow digesting fat or protein source. So Obviously, I'm not saying eat chocolate with a piece of steak, but what I'm saying is we can tack on the piece of chocolate right after you've had your meal um, because the steak takes a long time to digest. The broccoli is very starchy and takes time again to digest, so it slows everything down. And then when you have that piece of chocolate right afterwards, you probably won't have that crash. And it's also a double whammy because you'll probably end up eating less of it given how full you are from the meal that you just ate. So um Carb pairing is a really good way to turn a high carb, oh, sorry, a high GI carbohydrate into a low GI meal. Um, weightlifting. We've spoken about this, but I wanted to talk about just why it's so good to improve your insulin sensitivity. The more muscle that you have, the more storage space you have for glucose. Every time you use your muscles, you are utilizing glucose to contract. Okay. So that's why you see people who or athletes specifically who eat three, four, 500 grams of carbs a day, and they're still super lean because they can utilize that glucose really, really well. Um, and the more that you weight train over time and the bigger that your muscles get, the more storage space or room you have to fill the muscle cell with with glycogen or glucose. Okay. So, um, weight lift and also have most of your carbs in and around your training when you're most sensitive to the insulin signaling, as you're trying to replenish the glycogen stores or glucose stores in your muscles. Yeah. That's a great point. Another reason why girls should be lifting weights. And it's, that's unfortunately not the advice that's given when it comes to weight loss, especially with women that have PCOS. It's just move more, just move more, just move more. Let's talk about like what you actually need to do and what that should look like. Um, okay. Awesome. Any other tips in particular around nutrition at all? Um, around nutrition, I think some people might find better results from going cold Turkey with carbs mm. for a few months and just speeding up the healing process mm. and then introducing carbs slowly. That's a conversation you need to have with your client. I'm not opposed to keto. I'm not opposed to carnivore. I think it's very context dependent, but the long run, the long game is how do we incorporate carbs in a way that doesn't feel super restrictive, but also does not worsen your condition. Yes. So r- whichever route you take, the client still needs to be empowered with smart tools um, to manage their nutrition for the long run. Yeah, I think that's important. And another really important point to make is that this is not going to be forever either. Like the purpose of doing all of this is to heal it, right? So you can Mm -hmm. reintroduce carbohydrates and it might look like you may not be able to eat as much as you maybe as as much as somebody else can, but you should be able to consume carbohydrates down the track if you do the work to begin with. So if you can keep that in mind, if you can think this is not going to be forever, I just need to focus on getting myself to a place where I'm healthier so I can start to reintroduce those carbohydrates. I guess like it doesn't feel as bad. It's not like you're stuck having to deprive yourself for the rest of your life. There's a there's a date, an expiration date on it that where you're going to be able to include those kinds of foods back into your diet, which can feel a bit easier to stick to. Yeah, it's all mindset. Like I said at the start, yeah. like you've got to start there and end there. Like going into this journey with your client, you've got to tell them, hey, look, you might have to cut out carbs for a few months if that's something that you're okay with, but look at the long trajectory. Mm. And that really shifts mindsets and the client feels empowered to know that they can get through this. They can get through this hard time because there's better times coming. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, you're not stuck, that's... right? You're not stuck. Yeah, you're not. And there's nothing no. wrong with you as well. Like, you know, I think we can sometimes internalize it when someone feels like they're doing all the right things. It's so deflating and it can kill your yeah. confidence. You know, you're trying so hard and you're just not seeing those results. And it might be that maybe your energy isn't directed down the right channel. So there's always hope. Mary, you've just been an absolute, like, you're just so knowledgeable. You're incredibly passionate. Just want to say again, thank you so much for joining us. If any of the girls listening want to know more about you and what you do, where can we find you? Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure being on here. Um, so if you want to find me on the socials, I am at Snatched Fitness PT um, or the website, if you want to work with me, is snatchedfitness.com.au. Um, so I'm pretty active on the socials. So if you ever want to message me, hit me up with a DM. I'm more than happy to help you. And we'll but make yeah, sure the link. My absolute pleasure. Yeah. We'll make sure we link all of those in the show notes as well so you can find her. She's incredible. Right. Thanks again, Mary. Big thanks to Mary for that incredible podcast episode. It was awesome. And I think there's a lot of misinformation and confusion around what insulin resistance actually is. And look, it doesn't affect a huge amount of the population, but for those that it does affect, it can be incredibly frustrating when they've got a fitness goal. It can make things much more difficult for you to achieve whatever goal it is that you're wanting to achieve. However, it's not going to be impossible. You just need to change the way that you view things and maybe the plan that you're following. All right, I'm going to be answering a listener question. This one comes in from Tatum and she asks, if you're in a reverse diet, is it okay to also reduce steps or will that result in quicker weight gain? What if a certain amount of steps has become an obsession or source of stress? Great question. This is really interesting because it's actually important to decrease the amount of activity that you're doing in a reverse diet. Now, it really depends on what your starting place is. So if you've been doing a lot, and that's what it sounds like here, you have been probably getting a bit obsessive with the amount of steps that you're doing. So you may be like really hitting a great amount of steps, or it might just be that you feel the pressure to hit, let's just say 10,000 steps, but it's really difficult for the lifestyle that you lead or the job that you do, and you know you can't maintain that long-term. In a reverse diet, the idea is what we want to be doing is eating the most amount of food and doing the least amount possible. So what you want to think about doing is slowly decreasing the amount of exercise, just like you're slowly increasing your calories, look at decreasing by a thousand steps each week. Um, You don't need to drop it straight away. Or even if it's like, you know, you're training five, six times per week, start to pair that back four days per week. And then if you think, you know, what's manageable, I can hit the gym three days per week. That's, your, that's going to be your goal throughout a reverse diet to increase and then also at the same time decrease the amount of exercise that you're doing. As soon as something becomes an obsession or causes stress, that's not a good thing, right? And that's also not going to help you overall with wanting to achieve or being able to achieve your physique goals as cortisol levels are high and you're stressed and you're becoming obsessed, then there's something not right there. So absolutely, you want to look at decreasing the amount of exercise you are doing if it's excessive. All right, guys, another reminder, if you want to be in the running for our $100 Gymshark voucher giveaway, make sure to leave a rating and review. Like I said, thank you so much for everyone that has. Honestly means the world. I appreciate every single one of you. And if this is going to be helpful for a friend, make sure you screenshot it, send it to them, post it up onto your stories, or even send me a DM and let me know um, what you thought of the podcast episode and any other topics you want me to cover. All right, that's it from me. Big love, Coach Tash. Coach Tash.